better when you have your head facing down near the mic. <laughs> All right, so today I wanted to touch on a topic that has some different dimensions to it and uh, I think is worthy of exploration, which is the area of hope and faith and trust. And how do these, and sometimes you'll hear teachers saying one is better than the other or they relate in different ways. And I've been thinking about it because I'm looking at this book, um, which is called The Book of Joy. It's by the Dalai Lama, it's a conversation between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, which is already an interesting combination. And then the, um, you know, the interviewer who put that all together is a man named Douglas Abrams, who actually lives here in Santa Cruz. And he did a reading of this at Bookshop Santa Cruz recently, but I, I didn't get there. It probably would have been quite crowded. <laughs> um, but, so they're talking about joy, but they may talk about the various things that you know, that cluster around that. And in particular, they don't shy away from a very important question. Somebody wrote in a question to them. She wrote, The world is in such turmoil, war, starvation, terrorism, pollution, genocide. My heart hurts for these issues. How do I find joy in the midst of such, a large, of such large world problems? So sometimes we think about this in our practice, or sometimes we even have um, almost an aversive response, like if there are so many things like this going on, is it even right to be joyful? You know, why is that okay? Is that okay? And what does that contribute? And how could we do that in the face of things like this happening? And so um, I found a quote here by... Uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu had some interesting nuggets in it. And he talks about the difference between optimism and hope. And for him, hope is um, preferable. He says, I say to people that I'm not an optimist because that, in a sense, is something that depends on feelings more than the actual reality. We feel optimistic or we feel pessimistic. Now, hope is different in that it is based not on the ephemerality of feelings, but on the firm ground of conviction, which could be called faith. I believe with a steadfast faith that there can never be a situation that is utterly, totally hopeless. Hope is deeper and very close to unshakable. It's in the pit of your tummy, and it's not in your head. So I found this interesting. He's... um, you know, he's Christian, of course, and hope is an important idea in that religion. <coughs> you also hear Buddhists saying that no hope is uh, a sign of awakening, is that we no longer um, need something like hope, or we don't think about the future, we're more <coughs> in the present moment, working with our own intentions. I don't think these, I think this is getting into too much semantics to worry about the particular words. Let's listen to what, he, what Tutu was actually saying. He says, he said, pointed to the ephemerality of feelings or emotions, which we know from our practice. They come and go. This is what we watch. <laughs> our moods, our emotions. 
and we know that they maybe have information for us, um, but are not as reliable as reality, as a feeling in our belly, as our heart's conviction, essentially. There's something that's sort of more reliable, more fundamental, and we need to discover that for ourselves. Uh, This practice doesn't offer us something definite and external that um, we can point to, but we're encouraged through practices to find that in our own heart. And then we find after we do that for ourselves that it's really similar (laughs) among different people. But I think it's valuable when we do that exploration ourselves. And I I hope that's what the way we teach the practices is encouraging in us. So there is this quality in Buddhism called sata, which is the Pali word, usually translated as faith, but can also be translated as trust, as confidence, as conviction. I've seen all of those. Uh, The word literally means in Pali something like to place the heart upon. So this is something that we are offering ourselves to, in a sense. And for me, it feels like something larger than my small concerns or than my fleeting emotions, something that I can offer myself to. It's actually a faculty, um, what's called a faculty, which means that it's a, a power or a strength that develops and that we need to have in place in order for the mind to be free and to be able to act in this world with, with freedom. So I'd just like to note that there are, briefly described, that there are kind of three different types of confidence or trust that, that are talked about. The first is called bright confidence or bright faith. And it's, um, it's something like falling in love. It's um, very emotional. Often we encounter it um, when we first encounter something and we just feel drawn to it. Maybe you walked into ISC and said, this is a peaceful place. There's something there. Um, we meet people sometimes that inspire this in us. Or it can be something a little bit less obvious, When I first came to a meditation group, I didn't know exactly what I was, exactly what I was doing, but I did see that the people there seemed like they were comfortable with themselves. That was how I saw it, and that was what impression it had on me. And at that time, I was not especially comfortable with myself. And so I felt like, hmm, I want what they've got. (laughs) You know, it's as simple as that. That's often this quality of the, the bright faith, the sense that we're that we know this is what we're looking for, even if we can't quite articulate it. It's very wholesome. You know, we have to overcome some kind of skepticism to feel that. And but over time it's it's understood that it doesn't um, necessarily endure. This kind of bright faith is a, a burst, but it doesn't carry us all the way through, all the way across that long ocean that we need to, to go over in our whole spiritual path. But it's necessary, in a sense, to have that at the beginning, to get us going. And so then, as we practice, as we row the boat across the river, as we connect with friends, whatever it is that we start doing in our practice, uh, we move into what's called verified faith, or verifying faith. We're in the process of seeing for ourselves 
yes, this is actually true. There is actually something there. My initial impulse had some substance to it. And we see, for example, that we've become less reactive in the way that we interact with our children or that we find that we're calmer when we're um, when we get up in the morning we have a moment to remember to just enjoy our cup of tea and we realize this is a fruit of this mindfulness that I've been doing or this practice that I've been pursuing you feel friendlier softer something and so this isn't something that somebody told you um, you may have heard something like that in a Dharma talk but you've seen it in your own life and so we have this feeling of, okay, there's something here for me. We start to internalize what we're doing, basically. This is also a time, I think, when we learn to start grappling with doubt in a skillful way. Doubt doesn't just go away after the initial bright faith and then the first few times when we say, okay, this is starting to work. Um, doubt doesn't really go away at that point. But we get more skillful at grappling with doubt because we have a practice. We have tools that tell us you can be mindful of this when it arises. You can feel it in your body. You can investigate. You can read. You can talk with the teacher. Suddenly you have ways of approaching things that come up in practice that we didn't have before. And that itself is also part of the verifying process, is to understand our own doubt and work with that. And we may go back and forth many times. It's fine. This is the kind of the quality we start to see at the Dharma has the quality called ehipasiko, which means come and see for yourself. It's something that we can see for ourselves. And so we see that yes, our suffering is reduced in some way. Yes, we're able to deal with the despair we feel for the issues of the world in some way. There's something changing in us. Even though the newspaper looks the same every day, something different in how we meet it that might start to be called faith or hope, whatever you want to call it. And then eventually we have what's called abiding faith. And this is what's called unshakable faith or fully internalized. I don't think it means all of our problems are over at that point, but we're, we're certain that this is working for us. And Sharon Salzberg has a lovely quote. She's written a book, by the way, called Faith. Good book. Anything outside of us can crumble into dust. No symbol, no construction, no condition, no relationship, no life is immune to change. What can any of us place our faith in that endures? According to Buddhist teachings, to discover that is to know the deepest level of faith. It's interesting, isn't it, that our practice emphasizes so much seeing impermanence, seeing change, seeing rise and fall. And yet, what we find is something unshakable in the face of all that. It's interesting to me that the subtitle of the Book of Joy is Lasting Happiness in a Changing World. These two acknowledge that the practice is to see impermanence, but something there is about abidingness. Very interesting to work with this in our practice. So I think I'll 
go in there in order to ask if there are questions or comments or ways of working with faith and doubt, ways of working with despair and hope. Yeah, Charles. Is there a Pali word that means non-dukkha? Non-dukkha. Um, there's many. Vimuti, freedom. Okay. Yeah. It almost sounds like that's what you said. Yeah. Vornibida, cessation, cessation of suffering. Yeah. yeah. There are many words for it. Okay. Yeah. Position I would have seen as, you know, this is the opposite of that. Freedom is the opposite of dukkha. You know, the, I understand the sense in which it is true, but I, not what I would have just said, oh, here, this is this, and that's the opposite of it. Right. I suppose I could have said sukha, that's the opposite of dukkha, which is usually translated as happiness, but that's not what came to mind with Charles' no, question. No, no, I think you're right. <laughs> I think in most of what I read, that is the opposition that is uh-huh. set up. Yeah, well, it's the first noble truth, there is suffering, and the third noble truth, there is an end to suffering. Those are the words that I chose. Yeah. 